0: It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.
1: There's two totally different ways to go about it, but they've both been ultra successful in the last last couple of years. So I don't think it's all about going head on and, and smacking it all out attack the way that England play. But but I think that if you can mix and match and, and find what best fits your batting seven, I think it'd be be naive or and ignorant to to think that every team can play like that or every team can play like India. I think it's about about finding our balance and finding what works best for us as a, a one day team.
2: Hello, listeners, wherever you are, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel aka Meners, and this is our 50th episode extravaganza. I've got two extra special guests coming up. I've got former Australian captain Alan Border and Mr Cricket himself, Mike Hussey, all to come. But first, we heard Aaron Finch at the top of the show talking about Australia's one day series loss to South Africa. So to dissect that result, I have on the line Ben Horn, News Corp's gun cricket writer. Hi Ben, how are you?
3: Very well, thanks Minnesota. How are you?
2: Yeah, really good, thanks. Although um uh, would have been better if the Aussies had chased down that three hundred and twenty on Sunday.
3: Yeah, they um they, they showed some fight, a couple of key moments, I guess, let them down. The top three or top four I should say batting. Uh they didn't get enough there and uh and I don't know, that that partnership between Fast T and David Miller just got completely out of hand, didn't it? Um, you know, it's quite amazing though, you know, the way that they finished that innings off.
2: Yeah, they put on 252 runs which is just an outstanding partnership and look, Australia have now lost five consecutive bilateral one day series. It's the first time they've ever lost two series in a row at home and it's South Africa's first ODI series win in Australia since 2009. Takes Australia's win-loss record this year to two wins from just 13 games. It's the fewest wins since 1978 and there worst winning percentage ever and it's actually the worst of any country this year so that's pretty uh horrific reading isn't it ben
3: it is it is and uh the, the most horrific thing about it all Ben, is, is the countdown is now well and truly on to the world cup they won't play another one day game until january um and then we've got the tournament starting in may so and, and the problem is that they really haven't found too many solutions to Their problems. I guess there was a couple of positives in this series with the way Marcus Stoinis contributed with the ball mostly, but he played a fine knock last night as well with the bat. Alex Carey's been very reliable with the bat. Sean Marsh continues to deliver in one-day cricket. But otherwise, there's a lot of uncertain positions in the batting order and I'd, I'd expect quite a number of changes before we get to that World Cup.
2: Yes, yeah, so would I, with Smith Warner coming back and perhaps someone like Usman Kawaja being thought about who sort of possesses a nice all-round game. But let's start with the positives from the series. You mentioned a few there. I thought the one thing that was noticeable throughout the series that Australia got better and got more competitive as the series went on
3: yeah that's right i mean the way that it couldn't have got much worse i suppose after the first match but yeah they did and you know that that's important i think getting that competitiveness back does you know eventually lead to victories because what we saw in england was they were just getting wiped off the park basically so i think that you know the confidence in the side would have to be higher now than it was uh before the first match and certainly after the first match was finished so they, they, they sort of got their way into games a bit more, even last night when they lost three early wickets and they were, you know, three for 50 or whatever it was. they they could have capitulated from there, but they took it right to the last few overs. So from from the low base that they're starting from, there were some positives.
2: And what's the mood like around the one-day side? you followed them right throughout this series. Has the tension sort of from cricket in this country filtered through to them?
3: Look, a couple of players indicated that it had. Uh, Marcus Joiner's quotes the other night were very interesting, where he said that the players were cooked and uh, mentally drained after you know twelve months of all this intense speculation and you know pressure, and that and coming that's coming from both the front office and um, within the walls of the dressing room. So. I think it has taken its toll. Uh, Aaron Finch also indicated that there was, you know, that there was the potential for the team to be distracted. He didn't go as far to say as it had distracted the team, but, um, you know, aside sort of struggling like they are, can sort of deal with, do without any, any real outside distractions. And, of course, that hasn't been possible at all at the moment with all the turmoil that's been going on. So... I think it has played a factor and, and that mental side of it is you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for the rest of the summer.
2: Your footage of Justin Langer during the run chase, he looked pretty tense. How do you think he's sort of handling his first forays into coaching the side in Australia?
3: Um, well I think pretty well. It's a bit hard to, to say so early in. He's got so much groundwork to go before any real results will probably start showing themselves but you know, one thing that I've noticed is just how hard the team is training, how well prepared they are and how fit they are. Um, some of their sessions before matches are sort of spanning almost half a day, which I haven't really seen before. And, um, you know, you'd have to say it's justified. This is a team that really needs to work on its skill level. And um, and it's, you know, just those real basic elements of the game. So, you know, you look at Justin Lang's record in WA, it's, it's, he's got a proven method for doing these things he is an intense character but uh i I think with time we'll see some results
2: excellent now uh sticking with the positives you mentioned sean marsh's century that was his third one day international century of the year what about this doing any good for his chances of getting picked in the first test against india
3: yeah look i you know it's funny i guess to be saying form in one format Counts so heavily for another, but that's, that's what Justin Wayne has said leading into this series, that he was giving Sean a chance to submit his place for the Test team. And on the strength of last night's innings, you would say he's a certain starter for the first Test, I'd say, against India. A um, couple other people might be a bit nervous, like uh, Travis Head in particular, but I think Sean Marsh will be given another summer, or at least the first half of the summer, to you know reclaim the form that he, he has shown at home. He's maybe struggled a bit more with it overseas, but yeah, I think the side the side does need him. They they don't need him struggling like he was in uh, in the UAE. If that continues much longer, I think they do need to blood uh, some young talent. He's 35 years of age, but uh, if he's in form, then he can I think help Australia. Perhaps you know. Get that result that they need against India,
2: and uh, another positive to come out of the series was the performance of Marcus Stoinis. Two good bowling performances, then a, a good score with the bat in the final game. Uh, the potential starting to show at international level.
3: Yeah, oh, I mean he's shown it before. I mean, saw when he first came into the team, played a couple of pretty remarkable innings. So you know, I think I think he needs to work on his consistency for sure, but he in terms of, when you look at how much this team has struggled over the last 2 years he's probably one of the only players they've brought in who's actually clicked and contributed so i think he's um you know this wasn't really a surprise they've sort of backed him in for a while and um yeah i guess the key will be finding the exact right position for him in in the in the lineup because that's what they've struggled with the rhythm and you know combinations and cohesion he batted at number 5 last night and it looked pretty good so maybe that's his spot
2: I like the fact that when he came out, Australia was in trouble and he he took his time, he built into the innings and he he got going. He didn't just sort of start trying to smash it from ball one.
3: Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, he's quite similar to Mitchell Marsh. Um, Whether there's room for both of those guys in the one-day team is going to be interesting. But, yeah, look, Stoinis has got an impressive, certainly an impressive international record and, um yeah, I think they need more from him, but I think uh, he's going to... You know, I'd be pretty confident he'll be there for the first World Cup fixture in May next year.
2: Yeah, and I think he's a, a smoky to get into that test side. Maybe not in the first test, but there's only so many credits in the bank for Mitchell Marsh. And if you just look at if Stoynis is given 25 tests, I wonder what his stats will be at the end of 25 tests. So it's just sort of... I think he needs a few more shield runs, but he's not that far away from the test side as well.
3: Yeah, possibly. Um, I think Mitchell Marsh deserves a fair crack at it this summer. I know that quite rightly there's a lot of heat on his position, but I think if you do break down his career, um, the, the sort of 25 tests you're talking about is a lot different to, say, the last you know five to ten tests he's played. He battled in the uAE but um I think he averaged he's averaged about ten more in the last few months than he has over his career so i think he's entitled to have a bad series he's a young he's still a young player and he's just been um endorsed as a vice captain so I'm not saying that should justify his selection but they've you know shown that faith in him for a reason and I think uh, I think Mitchell Marsh deserves a, a fair crack at it this summer.
2: Yeah I do agree I think he, he does deserve a chance. All right so that's some positives from the one day series. Let's just go through a few of the negatives before I let you go. Um, so I thought the death bowling by Australia in the, in the final game where they leaked 130 runs in the last 10 overs. Was slightly concerning.
3: Yeah, well, <laughs> clearly, yeah, they like I think they conceded fifty-seven runs between the forty-seventh and 49th over, and hundred and thirty in the last ten. So, yeah, I mean, it got completely out of control. They didn't really look like getting a wicket, but you sort of, I guess, you know, you, you, that can happen when two batsmen get set. Uh, they 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 were the opposite in Adelaide. That the bowling won them the game, defending two thirty. They were pretty much faultless, really. A couple of chances went by Sunday night as well. Um, Alex Carey dropped Fafjupasie, and there was that sort of bizarre DRS moment as well. And a couple other moments, like a couple half-chances, I think Travis Head and Aaron Finch put down sort of difficult, difficult catches. Uh, Pat Cummins missed a run-out where he probably could have given himself fractionally longer to set himself for. So, you know, there was a couple of things that didn't go Australia's way, but I, I think the bowling is... There's no doubt. I think they need them to sharpen up, but bowling is the least of Australia's concerns at the moment.
2: That's true. The only one that I sort of looked at quizzically was Pat Cummins. His pace was down in that last game. He's coming back from injury. Uh, do, do you think he's not quite at his best yet?
3: I thought he was their best bowler on Friday night, but maybe he was a bit tired backing up. It was, you know, that. Travel day on on the Saturday and, and didn't have a training session or anything like that in between, so that, maybe that was a factor. But um, yeah, hopefully he's not he hasn't picked up an issue. But he, um, he I thought he was their best bowler on Friday night, so uh, and, and and possibly on on the first game in the first game as well. So um, I think overall he had a, he had a pretty good series.
2: Yeah, I just his pace was you know around those mid one thirties, and usually he's sort of above one forty. So maybe he's just getting into his stride. For the summer. Another negative, um, and there was a well publicized survey in, in I think our newspapers last weekend that the Australian cricket team has f- fallen below the Wallabies, which is the Australian rugby team for many people that don't know, uh, in terms of popularity. And you only have to look at the crowds in this one day series. They got uh, 5,300 in Hobart. 24,000 in Perth and, what, 17,000 in Adelaide, I think. So, you know, they weren't great crowds, were they?
3: No, they were terrible. And um, there's a few factors, there. I think it is a concern. I think it does show that maybe cricket's fallen a little bit in popularity. It, it is true uh, and it is important to point out that this time of year is notorious for poor crowds with cricket. You know, this is when, around the same time that the Gabba test has been before. And, you know, after day one, the, the you know, Gabba turnouts have been about, you know, 10,000 a day. So it, it's not an isolated issue for this summer. But given everything we've seen this year with, you know, the, 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 uh, I guess the mudsling that's gone on and, and what's happened to the game, I think it is of more concern. Um, I know that Sydney T20 against India is sold out. But, but there's still a lot of tickets left, I think, for this um, first T20 against South Africa on the Gold Coast, which first time Gold Coast has got a game. It's, uh, it's a concern that it, this uh, hasn't been sold out.
2: Absolutely. Hopefully it'll turn around. All right, our last thing. What are Australia going to do about their opening combination in one-day cricket? Is it simply a case of now just waiting for David Warner to come back?
3: Well, yes and no. I think um, the chances of David Warner coming back to the World Cup are now very short. Uh, those odds but there's still something like 14 13 14 games till that point and you know their problems aren't going to be fixed by one player coming in they they actually need to find confidence and and form before then so um, even if that is the overall plan there needs to be a solid interim plan as well I even though it didn't work last night if Chris Lynn is going to be in the side I actually don't mind the idea of him opening because that that sort of style of him just going all out attack. Sometimes it comes out, sometimes it doesn't. I think if that's the way he's going to play, then that's probably the best spot for him. Other options, maybe you you start looking at a young guy like Max Bryant up in Queensland, Sam Heaslet in Queensland. Very good player, very good record.
2: Jack Edwards.
3: Jack Edwards in New South Wales. Philippi over in uh, Western Australia has got a good record, so I-, I didn't think Travis had worked there at all, and I don't, I-, I just don't like the idea of him opening. So I think, yeah, that there needs to be a change there. And Chris Lynn is in a very difficult position now. He's he's played he only played four one days, but um, eighteen internationals for Australia now without a fifty. So. And, and and you know he can't really play any more cricket now. He's not going to play Shield cricket, so he's going to have to start the Big Bash with a in a blaze of glory, like we know he can. But yeah, that that'll be fascinating to see whether he's in the in the side that plays against India in January.
2: Yeah, very fascinating indeed. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your insights today on Cricket Unfiltered, and and thank you for all your contributions over the first fifty shows. I know you're. I know the listeners are a big fan of your work, so thanks for coming on the show.
3: No worries, manners, and yeah, congratulations.
2: Thanks, Ben, and you can keep up with all his work at dailytelegraph.com.au. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to be back with former Australian captain and Aussie cricket legend Alan Border. I just want to remind you all that the best way to keep up with the show is to subscribe to the podcast on an app. There's plenty of podcast apps for both Android and iOS phones. So the best way is find one that you like, like Pocket Casts or Acasts or Player FM and subscribe to Cricket Unfiltered and then you will get every new show delivered straight to your phone as soon as they are released. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then I'll be back with none other than AB.
0: Lynn 9, Finch 38, partnership of 19 from 37, Sean Marsh the last man to go. Where did you... oh. oh, look at that!
3: That's what you're after from Chris Lynn. one step down the wicket and over the rope, first six
2: of the match. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Mentzel and to celebrate our 50th episode, I have one of my all-time heroes on the show. Alan Robert Border played 156 Test matches for Australia and was skipper for 10 years. He is so highly thought of within the Australian cricket community that the annual award for the outstanding cricketer is named after him. It is such an honour to have this man on the podcast, and quite simply, he is a bloody legend. Welcome to the show, Alan Border. How are you, Alan? <laughs>
1: oh well, look after that introduction. How do I say? say no that, that's fantastic thanks very much
2: it's great to have you on a friend and i uh, was speculating yesterday that we thought you'd perhaps average about 65 in test cricket these days with short boundaries and big bats
1: <laughs> uh well, i don't know about that but um yeah look it'd be interesting to play uh the short form of the game the, the bats and the boundaries uh, that are on show now um just to see whether you know, my power game could come to the fore, but, yeah, look, it it would have been, it'd be nice to be still playing, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> go back in the time tunnel and uh, have another crack at it all, but, no, no, my my, comes, my time's come and gone. I, I enjoyed the period I played the game in. Uh, a lot of good players, uh, a lot of good contests, and um, lots of good fun as well.
2: Absolutely. And when you sort of think back to your playing days, what sort of memories regularly crop up? You know, games or, or people you played with or against?
1: Uh, look, I... Uh, Look, I've got very fond memories because, you know, the game was played hard, was played fair, the, the game started to become more and more professional as far as the remuneration of players was concerned. So, you know, for me personally, it was just a, like a bit of a godsend uh, to be able to play cricket, something I loved uh, very much uh, and, and get paid to do it. Obviously not on the levels of uh, the current uh, playing group, but um, it, was, it was a start and it was, um, you know, just it was great fun to be part of that era, you know, coming out of, you know, world series cricket and the upheavals uh, that caused, and then you know, obviously being a product of all that basically, and being able to play for as long as I did uh, as a professional, you know, I, I thank my lucky stars really, and you know, uh, and think very fondly of that that period uh, that I played my my cricket in.
2: It was certainly an era of um, really stellar fast bowlers um, all around the world. You know, and then I, I read on the other hand that you went to India and scored plenty of hundreds, so you sort of could play in all conditions.
0: Well,
1: uh, I, I suppose um, my technique allowed me to, to do that. It was you know, based very much around about you know, having a good defence, making yourself hard to uh, get out, and then obviously you, you uh, tried to create a few you know, good shots um, around all that. Um, but it was, a, it was a great era to play in. Yes, you know there was uh, different uh, you know, highs and lows about uh, facing the different uh, bowling groups around the world. And, and I, I suppose you just uh, have to learn very quickly how to cope with you know, a, a seeming ball and swing ball in England compared to uh, you know, a dust bowl turning wicket uh, of India and uh, the subcontinent generally. So that, that's what uh, made test cricket um, you know, so much fun and uh, probably still should be for all the players you know, to play in all those different conditions and try, and try and master it.
2: Yeah, you look at now, the modern-day Australian batsmen have so much trouble touring overseas. Um, I guess, yeah, it's just a different time.
1: Well, in their defence, um, you know, playing in the subcontinent, uh, we haven't changed too much from my time. I mean, uh, I never won a test match in uh, India or Pakistan in my time playing. Uh, yes, in Sri Lanka, they were very much the, the minnows back in the day, and I didn't play against Bangladesh. But um, so, look, we've, we've continued to struggle to get the performances that we, we'd like to achieve on the subcontinent. Uh, there's been been some moments, um, but. Look, the the woes have been happening for a long, long time, so we should just remember that, that my era struggled the same as this current era.
2: Alan, I woke up this morning and turned on Fox Cricket that you're a big part of, and I think you need to talk to the bigwigs about this because I saw highlights of the Adelaide 1993 test versus the West Indies that Australia cruelly (laughs) lost by one run. Now, firstly, surely they should stop playing that on Fox Cricket. I mean, you're their lead commentator.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, look, it's always interesting to see sort of those, those um, you know, tough moments where you just... yeah, you know, So it goes so frustratingly close to uh, beating the West Indies, which is uh, another team that I struggle to have a have a sort of impact against uh, other than you know, you know, batting occasionally well against them but uh, not having a lot of success as far as winning cricket matches or series. So that particular game was one of those frustrating periods where we, you know, just the the closest of margins and uh, we couldn't quite get across the line. So, yeah, I might have to have a word to my bosses at um, uh, Fox Sports to see if we can get more games where we actually win.
2: (laughs) Was was that your most painful loss, Skipper, that that one run loss to get so close to beating the West Indies in what you must have thought would be your last attempt? I think there's footage of you throwing a cricket ball in disappointment. Was that the hardest one for you to take?
1: Um, look, it's, you know, probably in the grand final, I can think of other very frustrating losses, not necessarily as captain, but, you know, I think back to, um, the Ashes series of 81, where we, you know, just snatched defeat from the jaws of victory a few times, um, in that particular series. And there's, you know, plenty of really close moments, uh, but that one, you know, as close as it gets against a side like the West Indies, which, um, you know, I hadn't had uh, a success against, particularly as far as winning a series. That, that was it. You know, when I think back on it, we probably didn't deserve to win that game given our batting just fell away badly in the second innings and it was down to, uh, of all people, Tim May and Craig McDermott to try and get us across the line and, um, you yeah, know, we agonisingly close. So, whether we deserved to win it or not, but um, sometimes, <laughs> you know, you, you sneak across the line when you deserve it or not and uh, that would have been nice to, to get that extra couple of runs to win that game, but um, not to be and, you um, Ah, yeah, that's one of the you know the, the parts that you know, makes up the mosaic of um you know a test match career.
2: And, and what were your happiest times as skipper? I mean, winning the World Cup in nineteen eighty seven, two away Ashes victories. What what are those sort of highlights that stick out to you?
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, you mentioned it, uh, nineteen eighty seven World Cup. That was probably the start of our uh, renaissance as a team. Um, we'd been through a couple of you know, pretty difficult years. You know, when I think back to '84, 5, 6, that sort of period where we really struggled to get any sort of uh, uh, results. And um, getting a side uh, together as a unit was was very frustrating at the time. But '87, um, a very young side, very unfancied side, uh, went over to India and really won won the World Cup uh, against the against the run of play, really. We we wouldn't have been anywhere near one of our favourite sides. So, you know, that was very, very pleasing to see, you know, a core group of players uh, come through the the ranks, uh, albeit uh, via the one-day game. Um, Still took a couple of years for um, us to sort of um, reach any heights as far as a Test match team was concerned. And that that came, obviously, in in 1989 as a series against England. And I sort of look back at that particular period as being probably my, my happiest um, because uh, things had turned around from the, the dark days to you know some really good days. It was a bit more fun going into press conferences uh, in that period uh, than the previous couple of years. So yeah, I think eighty nine Ashes was as, as good as it gets. But from that period on, I mean, it was was great to be part of that Australian cricket team. You know, you know where, where Shane Warne came into his own, Stephen Waugh and Mark Taylor and David. Um, you know, a lot of these. Younger blokes, uh, Boone, Jones, et cetera, you know, started to really... Play some fantastic cricket, and uh, we hit, we went on a bit of a golden run. So you know it was, it was great to be part of that.
2: Yeah, that's when I fell in love with cricket. Watching that eighty nine Ashes tour, y- you mentioned the dark days of when you well when you took over. There it was a run of results that didn't didn't go well for the Australian side, and it was tough times for you. Now we're in a similar position where well we've got two skippers. You didn't have the luxury of sharing the load, but we've got Tim Payne and Aaron Finch, and, and the Aussie team's not doing so well. What's your Advice for them in handling a, a tough run of results.
1: Yeah, look, it's, it's never an easy answer. Um, you've got to obviously just uh, keep working hard, keep believing that uh, things will turn around, um, and that's where the selectors play a role as well because it, it is very difficult to get sort of any momentum and any uh, team camaraderie going as, uh, when you're you know, chopping and changing the side around. So that's an important part of the, the scenario. Is uh, working out what your your best team is, or your best sort of uh, you know dozen players, fifteen players uh, in the different format and and picking and sticking to a certain degree, it can get frustrating for the media and and the likes. You know when players are not performing at the level you you want, but if, it's, if they've been identified as the best we have, I think you've got to you've got to stick with them, and uh, that creates. Uh, a better dressing room scenario, and it allows the team to sort of start doing some you know, particular planning, etc., and and ho- and hopefully, you know, the performances come as a result of um, the, the selectors and various people showing faith in that group. So, ho- hopefully, that's what what happens. It'd be nice to to, to see the players. You know, they get picked, um, get some performances on the board, and that sort of takes the pressure off. You know, and and as the pressure comes off, you know, your, your performances tend to improve. So, look, so that, that's that the ideal scenario. But it's basically for both both of those captains and and the teams just to sort of hang in there and keep working hard. And if you do that, it's amazing how the results do turn around.
2: That's right, and and it's hard for the the skippers though when they go in and the heads are down. They've got to try and pick everyone up, don't they?
1: yeah look it's it's a tough uh, scenario the, the, the game's covered more closely in the media these days uh, with social media in particular so the players are under you know a lot more stress than you know I think of uh, my my time yes it was not not much fun going into press conferences uh, having lost games and I'm sure Aaron Finch and uh, Tim payne are, are feeling that so it's just It's hard to keep talking things up, isn't it, if you're you're losing. Um, It's a lot more fun going into a press conference when you've you've won a game, a tight contest or a really good win, whatever whatever the situation. It's a a lot more fun talking the game up under those circumstances. So, look, um, that's just the reality of professional cricket, and particularly playing cricket for Australia. There is a high expectation, and and quite rightly so. Um, We've got a very proud history. And uh, we don't like losing very much, so um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's a tough scenario. And uh, but I, I'm sure we've you know our, our system is still very very good, regardless of what people uh, thinking about different reports that are coming out. I think our system is still good. There's lots of good cricketers coming through the ranks, and um, you know I, I think the future will be good. It's just hanging in there in the current scenario, and um, things will turn.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned the selectors before. Do you think it's time? For Australia to look at restructuring the way we uh, build our selection panel and have sort of more full-time selectors, I think it's Trevor Holmes and Greg Chapel now. Perhaps we need kind of a younger model with uh, sort of scouts based around the country.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. That um, sometimes you don't like to, to change things too much if they're if they're working well. Uh, so sometimes I feel that things just get changed just for the sake of it. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, through modernisation or different uh, corporate type scenarios, you know, get played mm. out in sport these days. So, yeah. corporate structures, etc. So, um, look, it's it's worth looking at. I think that the system has changed slightly from um, going back in time. In that, the coach has a greater say in um, the, the teams that um, take the part now. Whether that's a good thing or not, but that that's uh, the way it is at the moment. And then he has. His very close advisors being Greg Chappell and Trevor Holmes, those two two people, well, you can argue whether that should be those two or a younger group. Um, It's hard to convince uh, good people to do that job um, because you you are away from home a lot watching cricket matches and uh, there's not the reward there. um, And you don't get compliments, do you? (laughs) No, you don't get too many compliments and... And and most younger people, you know, if you picked out someone, you know, just pick a name out of the hat like a a Ricky Ponting. I mean, he's got, you know, incredible things to offer the game. um, But could he go to a selectors role? There's no way he'd want to do that job, uh, given his exposure in the media and the the media work he does and the different work he does just generally. You know, he he earns a very good income coaching and and being in the media. He's not going to do a selector's role. So um, that's the difficulty uh, that you have with getting you know, the right people to do those sorts of jobs. Um, and that's just the commercial realities that, that are around today. Um, you know, most of the good, good guys are involved in, in, in media work and um, that's more financially viable than hanging around watching cricket matches, um, not getting paid particularly well.
2: And it's interesting what you say about picking and sticking with players because I don't know if... This current selection panel has done that a lot. There's been a lot of chopping and changing in all the teams, and uh, I think we're sort of a bit lost with who's actually going to front up every game.
1: Yeah, um, and th- and that's the problem in itself, because you, you want to try and pick guys and-, and stick with them, but if the performances are not happening, it, it- it's get very difficult. You know, how long do you stick with someone um, if they're struggling? So that's, that's the, the million-dollar question, isn't it? So, um uh, and it's a difficult one to answer just straight out because you you know you pick people and you give them an opportunity, but they don't come up with the goods. It's, it's just you know, how long do you wait to make the change? So, uh, but there has been examples where they've given guys just one game. You know, uh, I think i say someone like uh, Callum Ferguson who came in for a, was the Hobart Test a couple of right, years yeah. ago, and we didn't play very well. We got hammered by South Africa, and um, he, he was uh, admitted. You know, after the one Test match, so things like that. Uh, don't breed a lot of confidence amongst the playing group, uh, I've got to say. But um, they have happened over the history of the game. You know, it, it, it continues. So, But it, the best method is if you can come up with what you reckon is our core group and, and stick with them for a period of time. And if you do that, it, it breeds a lot more confidence.
2: That's right. I think of Steve War when you... Talk about this and say compare him to Mitch Marsh. At, at similar stages of their career, they were both under the pump, and then Steve Waugh famously turned it around. So, guess Mitch Marsh—that's what he should be looking at doing something like that.
1: Yeah, well, well Mitchell's you know a good case in point. He's been a, a project player for for a number of years now, and uh, he's had his moments, hasn't he? Where you know you sort of think, oh, you know. He's turned the corner. Um, he's, he's going to become a you know, very handy test match cricketer for us, and then he'll go through that, those little periods where um, nothing much is happening and you get frustrated. So you know, it'd be great if Mitchell Marsh could turn into a Stephen Waugh-type cricketer. That would be... <laughs> That'd be unbelievable. <laughs> uh, if we can uh, unearth another Stephen Waugh, that would be great. So that would solve a lot of problems. But, um, yeah, look, uh, all, all I can do is go back into our Sheffield Shield head in our first-class uh, system and sort of dominate that and if they do dominate that well then they deserve to get picked for Australia and then you just hope that they you know the light bulb moment goes off and they work out that they can cope with the international cricket. you know there's extra pressures yes of course but you know our Sheffield cricket and our first class cricket in Australia is pretty good pretty good system and and, and um, should um, you should be you know test match or for you know international cricket ready if you, if you do well in our first-class system.
2: Yeah, we've probably gone away from that a bit in the last few years with too much emphasis on high-performance and elite pathways and, and taking guys yep. out of this system.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the case. I think that's something that's come out of you know all the, the kerfuffle that's been going on after this report was released just uh, recently, uh, that uh, systems have broken down to a certain degree. The high-performance era... I think it's probably got to have you know, be rehashed and, and looked at very closely, and we get back to the model that really made us um, the envy of all cricket nations. You know, all cricket, other cricket nations talk about our Sheffield Shield cricket and our first-class system. You know, we were we were the envy of uh, the rest of the rest of the world of cricket, and um, something that made us very, very good and very competitive all the time. So, we've got to get back to that for
2: sure. Absolutely. All right, before I let you go, just a couple more questions. One thing I um, like about Justin Langer's appointment as coach of the Australian side is he provides a link from the current era to, to your era when he came into the side under you and Bob Simpson. And would be happy to know reports are that Langer's got the team training for about half the day, a la, like Bob Simpson used to do. So I guess that's the, the right start.
1: I think it's been a very good appointment because, um, as you say, he's got that over to you know a very successful past era. You know, when he started, uh, we were just you know battling a little bit, and you know, he he uh, came in and he was one of those guys that had to work hard for everything he received out of the game. So you know, he he does understand the you know, the pros and cons of you know a very good strong work ethic, and what what constitutes you know uh, putting a very good cricket team on the park and what you've got to do to be successful. So, yeah, I, I think he's a very good appointment. It's been a struggle to start with, but I think out of that, it just makes the, the good days uh, seem a lot better um, when you've struggled initially and then it all works out in the end, which I think it will for Justin because he's just one of those fellas that just makes things work. So I, I think that that will come through loud and clear um, as, as uh, he gets a you know greater handle on, um, how the team is, is you know, should be operating.
2: Yeah, and I think hard work can unify a team group if they're all sweating out together. It can um, bond the group.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I think you know that will come through. There, there's no no question. I think you know all Australian teams work very very hard and um, they have a good work ethic. Uh, that goes without saying. Um, but it's it's how you practice and, and what you get out of your practice. Uh, that's the most important thing, and uh, you don't want to be practicing bad habits and things that are not working, do you? So, I think that's where Justin will, will uh, get things going in the right direction. That, um, the work ethic will be, you know, doing the, the, the things that make you successful, and um, that's going to be the important thing for our guys, you know, because there's some batting techniques that need to be worked on and uh, obviously, you know, all the bowling workloads, all those things we talk about now uh, in the modern game, I think he'll address all that and, um, you know, get the right systems in place.
2: Absolutely agree. Well, Alan, thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast. Um, I I know you're a big part of Fox Cricket's coverage this summer, so I guess what, you're going to be commentating on all the test matches and big bash games and so forth?
1: Uh, well, well, Test matches seem to be my domain uh, this year, right. um, so I'm looking forward to that because that's you know where, what I'm most passionate about. I'll be obviously watching very closely all the other uh, bits and pieces, you know, the One Day Games and the 2020 and the Big Bash, all the rest of it. But yeah, my passion is more the, the Test match arena, so um, that, that's where you'll hear my dulcet tones. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, it'll be great to have you uh, commentating on the test matches and thanks so much for coming on the podcast and hopefully we'll catch up over summer.
1: Absolutely, absolute pleasure. Anytime.
2: How good to get Alan Border on the show. What a coup for Cricket Unfiltered. All right, we're going to be back in a moment with none other than Mr Cricket, Michael Hussey. But before we do that, I just want to thank uh, four people that went on the Australian iTunes store and left a review since the last show. We've got RBH96, We've got Rosie, Sea Dragons, we've got Priage, and we've got John. So thanks for those reviews. Priage asked if their show could have sometimes more of an international focus, and uh, I'm interested in all your views and what you what you would like us to talk about. I kind of feel with this show, just with the limited time, I try and try and do sort of a deep dive into Australian issues. But yeah. I'd love to maybe do more shows. And over summer, there's going to be two shows a week uh, for the, the busy period. So perhaps then we can touch on the more broader international issues. Also, I'd like to thank Jeffrey Gumbleton for sending an email. He says he works in the coal mines in the Hunter Valley. And the show definitely brightens up his night shifts. All right. Thanks again for leaving the reviews. If you've got time, please go on to whatever app you listen to the show on and rate the podcast. It's a great way for new listeners to find the show. All right, back in a moment with Michael Hussey. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. And to help me celebrate the 50th episode, I have another player who averaged over 50 in Test cricket. He's a Test legend, a fan favourite. Welcome to the show, Mike Hussey. Mike, how are you?
0: Yeah, g'day, Andrew, and uh, congrats on the 50th show. You can raise the bat. Uh, You know, always nice to get a half century.
2: I uh, really love your nickname, Mr Cricket, because I am... I think, equally obsessed with cricket as you are. Can you just sort of explain how you got the nickname? And do you ever get sick of cricket?
0: <laughs> no, I don't really get sick of cricket. Um, you know, I, I love the game as well, yeah, very, very much so. Um, I, the, the, the nickname actually started in England. Uh, I, it was, uh, I was playing county cricket for Durham, and we were playing at Old Trafford um, uh, against Lancashire, and uh, it was one of those cold, wet, miserable days. No one wanted to be there, Um except for me I was loving it you know I was running between (laughs) the wickets hard and I was diving in and calling loudly and and just you know really engaged in the game and Andrew Flintoff was playing for uh, Lancashire and he turned to Brad Hodge who was the overseas professional and uh just said, mate, this guy loves cricket more than anyone I know. He, he must be Mr. Cricket. And uh, unfortunately, Hodgie brought it back to Australia, and, and it sort of stuck from
2: there. It's a great nickname. I think some people look at the summer ahead and think, you know, there's too much cricket with the big bash expanding, and you know, all the usual stuff. But I just think there's never enough cricket, is there? <laughs>
0: Uh, I see your argument. We do need to be a little bit careful. I think you know there, there can be too much. You know, not everyone loves cricket as much as what we do, <laughs> uh, and and certainly uh, as far as fans go and and families, you can't afford to go every uh, to every single game that's uh, available as well. So we want we want to see big crowds coming to the cricket and supporting the teams. It's going to be interesting to see how that the expanded Big Bash goes. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about it some interest waning, particularly towards the back end of the season kids are going to be back at school and people back at work and uh, I felt as though last season was probably just a couple of games too long so um, you know it'd be interesting to see how it goes this year
2: yeah that's right and um, you know with every team having 14 games it's going to be a lot harder for the clubs to fill the stadiums and get, get people to come out
0: yeah, yeah, definitely, and, and, you know, considering there's other great cricket on as well, you know, we've got obviously got India coming, um, you know, in test matches and T20s, and, and uh, so you, know, you hope that there's going to be big crowds there for those games as well. Yeah, it's going to be challenging, I think, to keep filling the stadium, uh, although the Big Bash has been a, you know, a fantastic tournament, and, uh, and hopefully, hopefully it sort of remains very strong.
2: I agree. Now, before we get into some current issues, I just want to maybe give the listeners a bit of an insight into the joys of playing cricket for Australia. And whenever I hear former Australian players talk, they talk about the sort of moments after a great victory when the, the team's together celebrating. And I was just sort of thinking, what was it like for you you know, playing in the team? And I think maybe say Amazing Adelaide, that wonderful victory against England. What are the celebrations like amongst the team?
0: Yeah, well, I agree with all those other guys that have spoken to you, really. That's what you really love about the game. And I think the reason why is that there's so much stress and so much pressure, so much expectation placed around the players and, and the team when you're playing. But as soon as that game's over, all that stress and pressure is all relieved and you can just relax and really just enjoy each other's company. And if you've had a great win where you've worked hard together for five days, you know it's it's just yeah it it's probably one of the most rewarding times we can sit back with your friends and yeah no pressure no stress and the true personalities of the players can come out and uh, amazing adelaide well yeah that was uh you know a fantastic experience still to this day probably the, the best feeling i've ever felt on a cricket field hitting those winning runs and then um yeah celebrating in the in the rooms afterwards we we yeah we just chatted and uh, laughed and sort of reminisced over what was an amazing test match. Uh, even listening to sort of guys like Ricky Ponting and, and Shane Warne sort of say that that was the best test match they've ever played in. And, you know, that, that obviously they've played, you know, well over 100 test matches at that stage. So it was, uh, it was pretty pretty amazing. And then the English players came in and and they sort of had a drink with us as well. Um, and so it was just nice just to sort of, I don't know, enjoy each other's company after five Cooling days of test cricket.
2: And I suppose some players are, are relieved, kind of relaxing, and other players are sort of up and about or, you know, full of adrenaline.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I mean. The personalities of the players come out and everyone sort of is, is a little bit different and, and you know, uh, sometimes a little bit different than what you see them on the cricket field. But it, But it's just nice that the players can just almost let their hair down in a safe environment, relax, enjoy each other's company and and celebrate, you know. Um, I I certainly look to celebrate after every test match because it's so hard just to play one test. Um, And and so you should really just, you know, just stop and reflect and enjoy that moment because, um, yeah, it doesn't come around too often.
2: How have you found the transition from playing to commentating?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's definitely a lot different uh, and i've I've really enjoyed the commentating, though, I must say it, it's been a lot of fun. As I talked about earlier, that stress and that pressure, that expectation that you feel as a player, you know I, you, you certainly don't feel that as a as a commentator. I, I actually enjoy coming to the ground, you know looking forward to the game and who's going to be the hero today and who's going to win and and just yeah enjoying the game in the best seat of the house and talking about it to to some 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 guys that I used to play with and against over the years. So I really look forward to that, and I, I certainly don't miss that that sick feeling in your stomach that you get as a player coming to every single game.
2: Wow. I feel like that when you commentate, you can still kind of tap into the player's mindset. Do you feel, you know, you, cause you didn't retire that long ago, you can still kind of tap into that side of you and see it from a player's perspective.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, that, that's my goal, I guess, as a commentator, I, I want to take the viewer inside the player's mind. What would he be thinking at this stage of the game? And, and, you know what, what? decisions he, you know, would be, you know, tossing around in his mind about what he shouldn't shouldn't be doing at this stage of a game, and so that that's my goal, is to try and take yeah, take the viewer inside the mind of the player, or inside the dressing room, you know, and, and try and give them some real insight about what what, what the players would be thinking at that stage.
2: And w- what's it like behind the scenes at Fox Cricket this year? I mean, there's a lot of commentators coming in, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, what's it like, sort of getting ready for the summer?
0: Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, actually. We've got a great team. You know, that was one of the goals about wanting to be part of that team is just to be able to work with some fantastic people. And I think we've got a great cross-section, some some younger people, some older people, uh, males and females. We've got different types of players from, from their playing days. So I think we really complement each other well. And, and, and I... I honestly believe the team will grow over 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 time as well. Um, Growth, uh, you know, working together, we'll really understand each other's nuances, and it should it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I'm really excited about the cricket that's going to be played, but also, yeah, working with these guys. And and I, and I know there's a real passion amongst the guys to, to to do the best job we possibly can for the viewers and the fans. So, so we can really put on a production that uh, everyone can be proud of at Fox, but but also that the fans out there and the viewers are going to really love as well.
2: Yeah, are you looking forward to working with Warney and Andrew Simon, some of the characters?
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, without doubt. Yeah, I, I love playing with those guys. It was just an honour to be on the same cricket field as them, and, and obviously I know them pretty well and I know their personalities, and, and so that should help. I think in the commentary we'll be able to bounce o- off each other. Uh, Andrew Simons, you know, he, he was one of the funniest guys I ever played with him in, in my career, uh, and, and particularly that environment that you were talking about earlier uh, in the dressing room after a game, so, so relaxed and uh, just absolutely hilarious, man. And um, I'm sure some of his humour will come out this summer.
2: And which of the the former players do you think has to wear the most makeup?
0: Well, with this new 4K, um, you know, the, the TV screens uh, are going to—they're going to pick up every blemish on everyone's face. So, uh, I, I think we're all a little bit worried about that. There's going to be every yeah—the makeup uh, ladies are going to have to do a lot of work on <laughs> work on us to get us looking well, looking good, but. As far as the most, probably me actually. I, I probably deserve, uh, need the most. I, I don't know. Maybe it was the stress of playing uh, Test cricket that just got to me and sort of aged the skin a little bit.
2: That's right. Have you thought about putting, you know, a rinse through the hair just to get the colour, get the grey out, or are you <laughs> sticking with it?
0: No, no, I'm going gracefully, mate. But, uh, I'll, I'll just, just stick with the old natural. Yeah, that would be good enough for me. I, I, I'm not going to be, uh, not going to be tampering with the hair. No, that's that's for sure.
2: Good one. All right, now let's turn our attention to some recent issues bubbling around the world of cricket. What is your view of the recent changes at Cricket Australia? The the chairman's left, Mark Taylor's left, uh, Pat Howard, uh, some some more executives. What's your view of the reaction since the report? Was it sort of adequate? Well, it's
0: been amazing, really. I've I've sort of been a little bit in shock, to be honest, and how... I guess scathing the report was and, uh, and, um, yeah, I guess it's all sort of been triggered off with the, uh, that ball tam- tampering scandal in South Africa. Uh, and then it, everything's just sort of snowballed on from there. So, um, obviously things weren't as rosy behind the scenes as, as, you know, maybe what the outside world, uh, you know, would, would believe. And, and sometimes it's good to sort of, you know, have some change. Reassess uh, or or, uh, recalibrate what what you stand for and what the values of the organization are and and and, you know Make some changes there and bring in some new and fresh ideas Uh, I I am a firm believer in that you know that there is a shelf life of of how long people should stay and uh, In their jobs and 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 probably the times right to maybe start afresh bring in some fresh faces some new ideas uh, and, And then go again, so um yeah it's been it's been pretty tumultuous off the field, um but hopefully we're over the worst of it now and um and, and and I think the most important thing now is is the new people that they 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 sign or get involved in those roles um they've got to be they've got to be top class and they've got to be the right people to do the job um, yeah, so to really take cricket australia forward in the future.
2: yeah, have you ever thought about, trying to sort of work for Cricket Australia in high performance or uh, working in the, in, in the game coaching or high performance, something like that?
0: Um, well, it's something that interests me, but at the moment I'm really enjoying the media side of things. I like the flexibility that the media gives. Uh, you, you, can, um, you, you can really you know, come and go but still enjoy the cricket uh, and uh, and you know, sit, sit in the best seats in the house and talk about the game and stay involved in the game that way. If you get back on the, say you're on the coaching staff with the Australian team, you're pretty much away from home ten months of the year, and, and that, that's one of the main reasons why I retired from the game. I, I, I've got a young family, and I don't want to be away all that time. It's ten it's months' time away, and, and you know I want to I want to work, and I want to be part of you know around cricket. But I don't want to be away from my family. I you know, I owe them to, to be putting some time back into them as well. So that's where the media is a, is a nice position at, at the moment at this stage in my life. Um, whether it'll be the same in the future, I'm not 100% sure. But, uh, and even Pat Howard's role um, as high, high performance manager or whatever his exact title was, that, that was a huge role. Uh, I, I don't think people on the outside actually appreciate how big a role that was for one person to do. And uh, I know he's copped a fair bit of stick, Pat Howard, but, um, you know, I, I think we, we should step back and just respect that he, he's had a huge role on his hands and, um, and, and yeah, you're never going to be able to please everyone and he's really tried to push the envelope a bit in, in some areas. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I personally, I don't, I don't think I think that role is too big for one person.
2: Speaking to Alan Border before, we were talking about perhaps revamping the selection panel. He reiterated what you said, that it's it's hard to get good people to do those sort of jobs because it, it does involve a lot of travel and, uh, you know, there's just not too many candidates.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's right. Uh, it It is difficult. Um I don't know. I'm sure there are good people out there that would be willing and could do a very good job. But but certainly, yeah, you need to look at their life demographic and what their goals are in life. And if you are going to be away a long, long period of time and away from your family, then it has to be worth those people's while. If... If it's not worth your while, then you're definitely not going to do it and go and do something else that gives you a bit more flexibility to sort of come and go from the game, but also have plenty of time at home with the family.
2: And I read on foxsports.com.au that you think the selectors have been changing the side a a little bit too much over the last couple of years? Do you think it's time we sort of pick a core group of players that we think are going to be the the core solid group of the team and sort of let them find their feet at international level?
0: Oh, without question. Yeah, I I think that's one of the important ingredients in any successful team. Uh, You know, players that feel like they've got the backing of the selectors, that they know exactly what their role in the team is. Uh, Even even then we've got to change the team around quite a lot in the batting order and, and, and things like that. Bowlers have bowled at different stages. So just if you just can lock down on a role that you feel comfortable with, you know you've got the backing, it gives you the best chance of, of performing consistently. Now, now some of those changes have been circumstantial. We've had some injuries, and obviously they've wanted to rest players along the way because there's other tours coming up, etc., cetera, et cetera, But cetera. Uh, but I, I totally agree. I think we have chopped and changed too much. And the statistics show that. I think other than Sri Lanka, We've changed our one-day team more than any other team in the world. So,
1: Hmm.
0: uh, yeah, since the 2015 World Cup. So, yeah, it 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 has been a contributing factor. I'd say there's probably other reasons as why, but but that's certainly one of them.
2: Yeah, just uh, that stat. In the last 20 ODIs, Australia have picked 31 different players, almost three teams. And it's hard to get any rhythm or combinations going if if you don't know who's going to be playing that day.
0: Well, and think of it again from a player's perspective. He's going to come out there thinking, well, what do I do? Do I play for myself here? Because, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get a game and the next, next one or, or do I play for the team or, or what, what role is required for the team now? It might, might mean just sort of teeing off and giving your wicket away. But unfortunately, it, it it sort of brings in a bit more of a selfish uh, culture and, and environment because you're just worried about your place in the team. And, and that's not how best the best teams in the world play. The best teams in the world play selflessly play for the team, knowing that even if they have a couple of low scores or things don't go their way because they're trying to do the right thing by the team, that they know the selectors or the coach is going to stick with them. Uh, And and invariably, what happens is when you see those selfless acts from your players, then they start to uh, infiltrate into other players. The culture of the team grows and and things start going your way.
2: And uh, looking ahead to the Australia versus India test series, do you think India start slight favourites the way we're looking?
0: Yeah, I've heard a few commentators say that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I I still think Australia should start slight favourites. And and the reason why I say that is you know, Australia has a fantastic record at home. Uh, India have never won a series in Australia. Uh, Okay, yes, Australia are missing some pretty key players, particularly Smith and Warner uh, and obviously Bancroft as well who was in the Australian team. So they're big losses, but their bowling attack still looks really strong for Australia and will test this Indian batting order, which is very strong. India has... One area they've really improved is in their uh, pace attack, and so that, that'll that certainly test the Australian batting. Uh, and the Australian batting, there's some great opportunities for players. You know, if, if they... They're going to get opportunities. If, they, if a couple of the guys can grab it and really score some big runs, then, you know, they could cement their place in this Australian team for some, quite a period of time. Plus... I think this Australian team will be really hurting and smarting and, and wanting to put in a great performance this summer with everything that's gone on since uh, the South, uh, South African ball tampering scandal. That They'll be really have a, a sting in the tongue. They've got a point to prove to the whole world, but particularly the Australian fans, and, and also to gain back some of their respect.
2: Yeah, and I had a look at the, your team that you put up for the first test on Fox Sports, and you got Finch and Renshaw at the top. Are you happy with that, those two opening.
0: Well, yeah, you you got to remember when I was asked to do that, it was quite a period of time ago. So there's a lot still to play out before the first Test match against India. Uh, there's a number of Sheffield Shield matches. Obviously, the one days against South Africa have been going on. And, but, yeah, I, I just sort of got the feeling that we really need to shore up that top six with the, the six best batsmen in the country. And so I, I feel as though Renshaw, he had a fantastic winter playing overseas, uh, playing for Somerset. I think he scored a, a lot of runs. Uh, unfortunately, he just got a, a little... Well, a concussion and uh, a little injury leading into that UAE series, so he wasn't able to play. Um, but I'd like to see him, if he starts well for Queensland and the Sheffield Shield, I see he got one good score the other day, but if he can get another good couple of good scores, then, then I'd I like to see him up at the top of the order and, and, and really shore up that top order as much as possibly can. Uh, and, I, and I'd stick with the Marsh brothers. Uh, I know they haven't performed all that well in test cricket in recent times, in South Africa and then the UAE, but the record in Australia is, you know, it's it's very very good, and and Sean Marsh has shown that since coming back from the UAE, he's performed well in Shield cricket. He's performed well in the One Day Series, uh, scoring 100 in Hobart. So, you know, and and Mitch Marsh as well. He's gone away and scored a big 150 against Queensland in the Sheffield Shield game as well. So I think they deserve to be given a chance uh, in, in that first Test as well.
2: And then um, the number five spot for Australia is kind of open. You could have Travis Head, Peter Hanscom. There's a few different options. I think Peter Hanscom kind of displays some muddled thinking by the selectors. You know, they bring him in. He's averaging close to 45 in test cricket, and yet he's he's been dropped. It's sort of, you know, if you're a batsman and you're averaging mid-40s, you'd think you'd sort of retain your spot.
0: Well, yeah, you'd hope so. <laughs> Uh, it's it's not easy to cricket. You're going to have a period where you just you know miss out a few times. So uh, yeah, that, I guess that was disappointing for him. But the, the man that's got the spot at the moment is Travis Head, and, and I would stick with him personally. You know, don't don't muddle with his mind now. He he's the incumbent. He hasn't done too much wrong. Uh, I, I thought he played a couple of decent innings in in the UAE. So let's stick with him. Let, let's give this guy an opportunity rather than, uh, again, creating that doubt on another player's mind.
2: Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today and coming on the podcast. It's been it thrilled to talk to you having mr cricket on the podcast to celebrate 50s very appropriate um are you going to be helping out the sydney thunder this year at all
0: uh no mate i'm I'm actually out of the thunder um i'm still a fan obviously and and, and i'm very close to a lot of the players so i'll be staying in touch uh, whenever i can i'll be commentating a few of their games with fox cricket so looking forward to that and i'll be cheering on from the sidelines uh I'll try and make my commentary as uh, as uh, not not as bi- not biased, I guess, <laughs> and as fair as possible. But uh, secretly, I'll certainly be cheering them on. But uh, yeah, no, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the team goes. I think it looks a good squad. Uh, and um, and I'm excited for them for the season.
2: Yeah, you never know with the Thunder. They could win or finish bottom. they are just uh, <laughs> a bit, yeah. been a bit like that. A bit of a mystery. All right, well, Michael, thanks so much for your time. Take care, and hopefully I'll see you around the traps uh, over the summer of cricket. No
0: worries, Andrew. Thanks very much for having me on, mate, and congrats again on the 50th show.
2: Thank you. Take care. Well, that's it, listeners. What a way to celebrate 50 episodes, Alan Border and Michael Hussey. What a great way to bring up the 50. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your host, Andrew Mentzel, and we'll be back next week with another show.